Hello and welcome to episode three of People, 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 people like games. What up? And welcome back to People Like Games, a new gaming and esports podcast. Uh, a lot has changed in the past week for us. Uh, we are officially on the iTunes store and we are also on the Google Play store. That's People Like Games. Uh, subscribe if you want to. Don't if you don't. Uh, we're also on Twitter at People Like Games. Uh, if you're on Twitter, give us a follow. Uh, we post uh, pretty witty things from time to time and other times not so witty but you know more informational I, yeah could be cool could be cool uh anyway um for those unfamiliar uh with the uh breakdown of the show which i'm going to assume is most of you uh we are a three segment show and the first we go over uh some popular and important stories uh in the industry uh in the second we take a uh, topic or question sort of analyze in depth uh this week we are going to be looking at gaming awards uh, in particular uh, how many game of the year awards there are and which are considered the most prestigious uh, and then for our interview segment which is our final act uh, we are going to have on the CEO of Gunyo uh, Te- Teja Yanamandra uh, great guy we have a great conversation uh, about gaming uh, amongst entrepreneurs um, and so you know without further ado let me get into this week's stories uh to begin with uh we actually have a follow-up from a story we covered last week which was gamestop releasing uh, a rental program uh called power pass uh where they would uh, allow uh, user or users allow individuals to uh, rent games from their used game catalog and store. And basically, for sixty dollars, you'd be you'd get unlimited access for six months. And uh, within one week of launching, apparently, uh, it, during the soft launch, rather, they were unable to uh, handle the amount of people who were trying to sign up. And apparently their software was not up to date enough to keep track of the number of people renting and renting back. So basically they had to shut it down. Uh, And for all of seven days, uh, a concept that I thought would potentially take the place of Blockbuster for physical game rentals has now officially died. Uh, I think it is as silly Yeah. Uh, for gamers to not purchase physical copies as it is for games to have uh, microtransactions in them. Um, But what can you do? What can you do? Uh, It was worthwhile, but, you know, apparently innovative ideas that could prolong uh, an inevitable closure are not within GameStop's near future, which is a little upsetting, but I guess I'll have to settle with the local red box outside my 7-Eleven or Gamefly, which I've never really used, but, you know, I 
you know, you, you, you're not going to get the game that you want because the popular game is going to be rented out because they have a limited quantity. So then I could just do back catalog stuff. And if I'm going to do back catalog stuff, I'm just going to play the old games I have or, you know, get the free games on Xbox Live or Steam or whatever. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, a little disappointing. But in other news, uh, coming off the success of Mario Odyssey, both critically and fan-wise, uh, Universal Illumination Entertainment Division has announced they're gearing up to make a Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, it's the studio that's responsible for movies like Despicable Me, Minions, and Secret Life of Pets. I guess that's cool. Um, you know... I would have preferred if someone like DreamWorks would have been interested in making those movies or, you know, in adapting uh, animated versions of some of this video game IP. But, you know, I guess it could be a good movie. It's not, nothing against, you know, Minions, but, you know, Speckled Me was good. Uh, but eh, I guess we're going to have to wait and see on that one. Uh, in other news, uh, CEO Ryan Wyatt had a conversation with Polygon about uh, Nintendo's uh, monetization beefs. Uh, basically, uh, Nintendo has a creator's program partnership uh, with YouTube streamers, uh, which w had allowed them uh, the ability to stream Nintendo content on their channels and then to be able to split the, you know, advertisement uh, revenue with them but apparently now they're saying that uh, for those who are signed up for the program they're still not allowed to stream it for money but they're allowed to stream it for free and if they do want to stream it for money they have to do it from an alternative account which if you're a popular streamer you're not going to get everyone to go to your alternative account so you know it sort of shafts them I don't know why I feel like Nintendo would have a pretty uh, lucrative market from you know licensing out or not even licensing out and you know overall advertising revenue you know from some of these streamers if they allowed it and if they were a little fair with the percentages but you know I guess we'll see uh, all in all it only really plays to Twitch's advantage because if they're not able to monetize it then you know anyone could just watch it on Twitch for free I you know anyway and if you're watching free gaming you know Twitch is a better UI for it so yeah I guess we'll see what ends up happening with that one um, in other news it was the 15th anniversary of Xbox Live uh, it launched on November 15th 2002 um, probably the most revolutionary uh, idea in the history of gaming for online multiplayer for consoles, you know, PC was always online multiplayer, but for uh, consoles, it was pretty revolutionary. It took away uh, the need to have LAN parties and made, uh, you know, Halo 2 and 3, uh, you know, subject to online play and headsets and that whole world, which is, you know, a sort of next step for console gamers and for a sort of generation of gamers. Um, I'm a little surprised Microsoft didn't do anything uh, in terms of marketing, but I don't work there. If you ever need some consulting, let me know because I would have uh, definitively uh, done a campaign because it's not like, you know, your company released a new console 
last week or anything that would have been a sort of ideal tie-in, but you know, whatever, what can you do? Um, Anywho, uh, next up, we have Tencent, the Chinese company that owns Riot Games, uh, is in uh, the process or in uh, basically interested in acquiring Bluehole, which is the developer of Player Unknown Battleground, uh, better known as PUBG. Uh, recently, they ended up partnering uh, to be able to bring the game into China uh, because of Chinese uh, state regulations for censorship. Uh, you need to be able to partner with a Chinese company f- to be able to adapt the content for the Chinese market. And it would make sense for Tencent to buy Bluehole because there's a big push to try to get PUBG to be, you know, a big esports market. But, you know, until they figure out a better way to uh, allow viewers to watch it. Uh, I don't. I just don't think the game is made for proper spectating. I think Overwatch responded, or Blizzard rather, responded really well to spectator concerns. And you know, watching the Overwatch uh, playoff or the Overwatch World Cup uh, was really interesting. Uh, it was just it was just well you know produced, uh, really high quality. But it was also you were you were also able to actually follow what was happening, uh, which is extremely important, especially for developing uh, you know some uh, or uh, for developing a big market of people that are interested. Uh, but you know. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, in other news, actually related to Blue Hole, uh, they just released a, a game trailer or reveal trailer rather uh, for their new MMO a, with a steampunk twist. Uh, there's not a lot of you know cohesive gameplay uh, video. It's just sort of a mishmash of things. Uh, but there's mechs and dragons and ships and you know aliens and it looks pretty cool. But we'll see how they execute it. Uh, they've proven, at least with PUBG, that they're you know extremely capable of scaling their servers for a large user base. So there's uh, a definitive track record of them being able to handle a large scale game like this. So if the quality is there, I mean, they could have a dual hit on their hands. That wouldn't make them you know sort of a serious player uh, in the uh, gaming industry. But, you know, it would also make sense that the company that owns Riot, you know, uh, would be the one that owns uh, uh, the developer that happens to have the two, you know, biggest games potentially uh, of the coming year. Because, you know, as popular as uh, PUBG has been, uh, you know, it's always easy to forget that it's still in beta and the official version doesn't even drop until, you know, what is it, December 6th, that's when the console version is going to be released. So, you know, I guess we'll see where it goes from there with the final <clears throat> finished product. Um, anywho, um, Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links is now available on Steam. Um, a couple of weeks back, I was at New York Comic Con and there was a surprisingly big presence by uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links for mobile. Uh, apparently it has like 55 million downloads, uh, which actually isn't too surprising because apparently just recently I found out Magic the Gathering, so that was a really big market, but that surprised me. Um, that's not to like belittle the market, but it's just you used to see 
Magic the Gathering cards and, you know, packs of those cards available at, you know, the local Toys R Us or something. And now I don't I don't even know where you would buy it. There's just such few physical locations. So I guess its movement to digital market has made me think it's more of a niche market than it could potentially be. I always thought Yu-Gi-Oh had it, you know, when I saw Pokemon Go and they were like, oh, this is augmented reality. This is the next thing. I was like, nah, what you need is Yu-Gi-Oh for VR, Samsung, make it happen. That shit would be awesome. But apparently, alas, instead, at the time, they chose to make a Galaxy phone that blew up, which was not in my plans. And I could have saved them. But, you know, apparently their new phone's pretty good. So, Samsung, if you're listening, win me over. Send me your phone. Um, Just kidding. Anywho, uh, back to Nintendo. Um, In a recent Q&A with investors, uh, Nintendo president uh, Tatsumi Kimichima uh, answered a couple of questions about Nintendo's mobile strategy. Uh, He said that he still wanted mobile to be a core pillar uh, of their uh, strategy moving forward, but uh, they realized that, you know, uh, they can't simply ex- uh, port our existing games and IP to smart device applications, which, you know, makes sense. Uh, apparently, they felt that Mario Run, uh, which came out for the iOS, uh, I, I think I believe came out for Android too, um, you know, was disappointing by their standards. Uh, just a measly 200 million downloads. But, you know, I guess it's a profit level. I guess more people downloaded it than bought it. And it makes sense. I mean, on, on the heels of the Switch, they've been sort of focused on that. And the, uh, you know, retro consoles they're releasing, I'm sure they're going to follow that up with a Nintendo 64 one and a Game Boy one. Or if they don't, they should, because there's a lot of money in that. Um, and then they won't have to, you know, depend on this free-to-play model. But regardless... Uh, in better news for Nintendo, regardless of, you know, whether Mario Run isn't a smash hit, Switch is on course to surpass the lifetime sales of its predecessor, the Wii U, within its first year. Um, I want to say that's surprising, uh, but it's not because the Wii U was garbage and made no sense and was like a really ugly version of like Sega Saturn for some reason. I'm like, my friend had it and he gave it to me and I'm like, fuck is this it's like a shitty version of a game boy it's not even good and so at least i figured it out with nintendo switch though you know and i really think microsoft could learn a lesson or two uh from nintendo on this one uh if you really think about it or at least i do uh about the way gamers are going to play in the future i see you know, powerful gaming laptops or desktop uh setups with a console that is uh easily transportable and the switch was able to you know at least create a product you know either consciously or coincidentally that is able to fulfill that criteria there's not a single person who plays it and who hasn't mentioned it to me that hasn't mentioned its portability as one of the defining features uh not to mention having you know the two best games of the past year but 
you know, there there is Nintendo. Nintendo won this race. You could already write it now uh, that between the PS4, the Xbox One and the Switch, the Switch will probably outsell them and these next gen console uh, upgrades versions, the mid tier version upgrades that they have with the Pro and the One X. Um, I really think that Microsoft trying to sell their hardware or their new Xbox One X as the most powerful console uh, in the world while Nintendo was able to uh, create something unique uh, really speaks to why one is selling and the other isn't uh, the market that would potentially be interested in the most powerful console in the world probably already has a computer that's more powerful than what that console would be anyway so it's sort of overlapping but you know what can you do about that what can you do about any of this i just i just talk about it and report it like it's a interesting story that is you know worth knowing and you know otherwise maybe one day enough people listen to me that i will be able to be like hey why don't you do something about this because this seems like no one thought it through and i feel like you know, a lot of things happen where it looks like, wait, who really thought that through? It doesn't look like anyone did. Um, who, who's, who, whose decision was this? Really, sit, a lot of situations in your life, I want you to sit down and be like, whose decision was this? And that, that will become a, a go-to phrase in your life. It'll be like, whose decision was this? Stupid advertisement on TV, whose decision was this? Like, you know, you know, redundant bureaucracy, whose decision? Regardless. Um, and for our second to last story, um, following up on loot boxes, which if you listen to our first episode, which I just uh, put up the other day and it's a remastered form because the first version of it was God awful. Um, I mean, this version is so God awful, too, but it's just, you know, at least uh, audio wise less shitty so there's that eh, it's something i polished a turd for better or worse um but following up on loot boxes uh it looks like uh overwatch and battlefront 2 are in trouble uh in belgium the uh belgium gaming commission is investigating whether loot boxes constitute gambling um if they find that they are, they'll be uh, levied a fine for gambling without a license. Or if they choose not to pay, then their games will be pulled off the market. Um, I really doubt that there's any chance that they're going to, you know, not pay the fine. But that would create a domino effect uh, that would really hurt them. Um, the ESRB is, you know, sort of really behind them. Uh, we're we're going we're, we're gonna to do an episode on the ESRB um, one day. But um, for now, uh, ESRB is, you know, sort of behind loot boxes. And, you know, they've stuck to the, uh, you know, the PR line of uh, it doesn't constitute gambling. It's sort of like a trading card pack. But, um, you know, all they have to do is follow China. And for some reason, I have to bring up China as a model for transparency in gaming, um, which is going to get into our next issue or our next story, rather, um, and our final story. But uh, having to just follow the way China does it, which is literally the only country in the world next, I guess, Japan, but Japan's pretty loose with it, too, which uh, forces these games to uh, publish uh, drop percentage for items in their loot boxes. 
is. That's all you want. <laughs> Instead of me sitting there playing Overwatch and being like, if I get one loot box and open it and I don't get a good item, and if I open five in a row, is that going to affect anything? Is there any sort of multiplier effect? You know, I have a cause for concern if Activision is putting together or, you know, applying for patents to allow, you know, them to do microtransaction, you know, multiplayer, you know, gaming. I don't know. It's, it feels it, it all feels very predatory um, and it should be regulated because it doesn't seem to be self-regulated uh, by them. Um, which actually brings up our final story, which is probably, you know, I'm only going to get into the bullet points because if you're interested in gaming, uh, there's no chance that you missed it. And if you are not interested in gaming, uh, chances are you don't really care. Um, but uh, then thank you for listening, though. Uh, so, uh, Electronic Arts just released their new game, Battlefield 2. Uh, no, rather, Battlefront 2. Um, which is uh, their new Star Wars game. Um, and uh, the beta was released uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, and came under scrutiny for the way it set up its own loot box model. Uh, so basically, it set up a structure where you were able to purchase with real-life money uh, a currency in game that allowed you to open loot boxes, which gave you items, which subsequently gave you upgraded uh, upgrades, which then allowed you to um, use those advantages and multiplayer. So it basically became a pay to win game. Uh, when you're dealing with a mobile game, I feel like that that's a more acceptable business model. But to spring that upon people who had paid $60 for a full game, um, and then to be added in that sort of process or to the alternative, uh, which was, uh, basically where, uh, you know, a lot of outrage ended up coming, uh, which was on November 13th, uh, a Reddit post came up that said, seriously, I paid $80 to have Vader locked, which was in reference to uh, a number of heroes, Vader, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker among them, uh, that were locked and only unlockable uh, by either putting in 40 hours of gameplay per character by not purchasing a single other item or uh, paying. So basically, um, you know, the, the characters are available in game uh, for free, but to be able to use them online, uh, you would have to pay an additional cost. So basically, EA responded to that uh, comment or that thread um, with what went on to become the most uh, downvoted comment in the history of Reddit. Uh, basically, uh, a lesson for video game companies. Um, Reddit is not a place for you to put a PR statement. Um, think that through next time. Uh, but anyway, um, so basically, uh, in response to uh, the down uh, voted com uh, comment, um, there's a you know increased public outcry. Um, the you know the microtransaction controversy started affecting the gaming re uh, game reviews, uh, and so basically EA responded by decreasing the amount of credits required to uh, purchase a 
heroes by 75% uh, without failing to mention that they also uh, proportionally decreased by 75% uh, the amount of credits you earned in game um, while also neglecting to mention that uh, to play offline um, there was a cooldown time for the amount of credits you had to or were allowed to earn for that day uh, and the cooldown the cooldown time was almost a full day uh, which seems again uh, if it if you're paying for experience why, why there shouldn't be allowed to be a limitation of that experience after the fact you, know, you paid for a full product and you can't put those external limiters on the product once it's done hence my you know which now DLC basically with Dragon Ball it, there's every single game you could think of from Dragon Ball Fighter Z you know creating a $35 DLC before it's released to this just a just a just a joke but regardless um you know that uh was uh eventually met with even more of an outcry which prompted on november 16th for star wars battlefield 2 to turn off its microtransaction system uh which actually resulted um after a call uh between ceo uh, of disney bob Iger and the ea ceo andrew wilson um it looks like, you know, Bob called him and was like, you know, Andrew, you're about to fuck up my money. You know, you know, I got a Star Wars movie coming out and this shit is not looking good because this shit is Star Wars. And I gave you this property to use. And, you know, you are putting, you know, stain upon the reputation, you know, of the franchise, uh, which we're already dealing with our own PR crisis of, you know, directors always getting fired, which we tried to deflect by announcing a new Rian Johnson trilogy. But, you know, regardless, uh, I guess that all, I guess, just comes down to, um, you know, EA was forced to respond. Um, and so from one Reddit post and 72 hours, uh, the game went from uh, almost entirely uh, changing its in-game credit system to completely turning it off, um, which shows the power of protest really nowadays. Um, but, you know. No, that was interesting, but it's a, it's been the predominant story in an otherwise, you know, relatively slow week in the world of gaming. Uh, but, you know, next up we have, um, you know, our little, you know, explainer on Game of the Year awards and, you know, which are, you know, considered the most quote unquote prestigious. Um, I hope you enjoy. And uh, before I get off this side of the recording, I just want to say have a happy Thanksgiving. This is not an advertisement. So for this week's topic, we're going to be uh, focusing on Game of the Year awards. It uh, seems uh, like a pretty timely topic with the Golden Joystick Awards recently uh, revealing their winners and with uh, the Game Awards currently undergoing their voting period. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a topic that I've always been curious about, especially as we come towards the end of the year and we're going to start seeing, you know, these the stickers on games going into the holiday season. Um, and it, it always came down to uh, which is the most legitimate one, which is the most official or, you know, what is the most prestigious game of the year award? Because there is an almost incalculable number of, 
you know, publications that hand out the award, uh, which in the community are sort of considered, um, you know, uh, collectively to be, you know, possibly the most important or the most agreed upon because, you know, when you look at video games in comparison to other industries, uh, say, you know, film being being the obvious one, because, you know, as much as, uh, you know, award shows are a little questionable, um, you know, it, it's still a ceremony that sort of celebrates just film as a whole in one specifically agreed upon, you know, prestigious place, uh, for, you know, and if you look at it in 1896, the first movie theater was opened in America and within 33 years, there was the first Oscar. Uh, Pong came out in 1972, and now, you know, over four decades later, there still doesn't seem to be, you know, a agreed upon uh, award ceremony. And, you know, with video games sort of establishing themselves now as a cultural force, I believe that, you know, it's a it's a topic worth studying. Um a lot of the issues I think are going to stem from the fact that they don't have a uh, an academy, much the way that the uh, Academy Awards do, in that they have a large group of uh, selected voters, which are from all aspects of the industry. Um, you know what they have for video games again is just there's no centralization. It's a very sort of uh, you know broken down process. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not a few that are considered slightly more uh, prestigious or important uh, than other ones. Um, so, I, you know, going through the research, uh, firstly, I was trying to find out how many there were. Initially, I thought I found a number with about 65, but after reading uh, a little further and finding out that The Witcher was nominated for almost uh, 250 Game of the Year awards, uh, that made me realize that potentially the international number of Game of the Year awards is going to be something that's borderline impossible to document. Uh, if a listener happens to have a list and is like, you're wrong and you're an idiot and, you know, here it is, and, you know, then I will make that listener the host of the show and then, you know, go out of my way and apologize. Um, but, you know, until then, what we have is a, a broken list of of forum boards and arguments of people trying to uh, claim what they think is the most prestigious. But, you know, of all of the lists, it's come down to a few in particular. and so the first, or it's the five or six that I'll say first and foremost. The first is the Golden Joystick Awards. Those just came out, which uh, ended up giving uh, Zelda Breath of Wild the ultimate game of the year. Very fair. Uh, the next up is the Interactive Achievement Awards, which is hosted by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, AIAS. Um, that's been happening since 1998. The Golden Joystick Awards are actually the oldest uh, award show, uh, you know, for video games which have been happening since 1982. and so uh, the I uh, the AIAS award is actually the Dice Awards, um, very 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 important award. Uh, third up uh, would be the Game Critics Award. It's an annual award held at the Electronic Entertainment Expo, and it's been occurring since 1998. Uh, and so, if you look, you can see a lot of these uh, are you know have been around the longest. So that you know, there's a degree of prest- 
uh, prestige tied to, uh, you know, years in existence for better or worse. Um, next up is a Game Developers Choice Awards, which is held by the International Game Developers Association, and that's been occurring since 2001. Um, lastly, is the and this this is one where that you know there'll be an asterisk in place but um the spike video game awards started in 2003 and for everyone familiar with it um your only question probably used to be uh why in god's name is spike hosting a video game awards and this is just terrible for the you know publicity and public relations of video games because this is just like a a bronado of just stuff that gamers are not a about and it was just a you know a terrible terrible but i guess important just because there's just nothing really uh, available um award which then ended up uh going away and in its place came uh, a new one the game awards uh it's an internet-based video game award show that started in 2014 um and was actually started by one of the main uh, people behind the Spike TV Awards, uh, Jeff Keeley. Um, so basically, uh, he, he, you know, he very much agreed. He, he had been part of uh, hosting at Spike and hosting for uh, G4 TV as well, which used to be a pretty big channel. I'm sort of curious whatever ended up happening to that. Um, but regardless, uh, he ended up uh, choosing in 2014 to set up a game awards that he thought would uh, eventually move to be the Oscars of uh, gaming awards. And it's a it's a noble thought process. The, you know, the real question is uh, whether they can get a, a community behind them. So basically, uh, the game awards this year are going to be held on December 7th at the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles. Um if you guys are listening over at the Game Awards, uh, give me a ticket because I would love to go because that shit looks real cool, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and so in essence, um, you know, the argument becomes that uh, one of the issues that people have had about the Game Awards uh, in the past year, because, you know, it's only been in existence for two years, it's coming up on its third. Uh, first was the fact that um, there was such a few number of women of the 30 judges announced, uh, and this is for 2015 or 2016s, rather. Uh, there's two women and 28 men. Um, and, you know, gender disparity aside, the question becomes, is it 30 people sort of a small number to be judging what is potentially the most important game, um, you know, in in the industry? I think that uh, that is something that, you know, it's a great concept. Like there's definitively a need for an Oscars. But I think uh, what the Game Awards needs to do moving forward is to create a more transparent process um, in terms of who is going to be involved in the voting. Um, in addition, they do have a uh, user voting uh, portion, but that only makes up like 10 percent of the uh, decision, which is sort of a weirdly random number, which is like, how do you factor that into whatever else is going on? But um, regardless, uh, so between those and then in addition to those, uh, the ones that I had mentioned, which was the, uh, you know, the Golden Joystick, the Dice Awards critic, the Game Critic, Game Developers, and now the Game Awards, uh, you have, you know, all of the publications that are sort of trusted for game journalism. Um, whether that's IGN, whether that's Giant Bomb, whether that's, you know, um, game 
you know, GameStop or, you know, Game Radar, whatever the case is. I think that once you get outside of these more uh, structured industry awards and start moving towards the publications, what you have is um, a, a slightly more subjective decision making process. So, you know, for the average gamer, if you're an IGN fan, you're going to sit down and say, you know, no, no, IGN, you know, said this is the best game of the year. And then, you know, someone else will say, well, no, well, Giant Bomb said this. And a fourth person will say, well, no, you know, what about, you know, GameStop, you know, or, you know, so it, that that becomes a tough question. I think it's. Um, you know, within the interests of the industry to, uh, you know, move towards a consolidated voting process. I know awards are a silly concept. And I completely agree that, you know, it it almost hurts and helps an industry to be giving out awards because there's no way uh, they're able to, you know, appropriately uh, hand out the number of awards that are deserving. Um, a lot of people get left out. A lot of people get cut. But at the same time, you know, it creates a sort of great uh, center point of the industry per year for even uh, people outside of the gaming industry to understand how uh, and just to be general viewers. And, and now that, you know, gaming is probably facing, you know, an extremely rapid growth period in the next upcoming years, along with esports, which is actually going to be the next topic we get into, um, you know, it, it only makes sense that the uh, as, as even esports leagues move towards professionalization, that some of the industry awards do as well. So, Jeff, if you're listening over at Game Awards, in addition to an invitation, please feel free to uh, send me a uh uh, an email and I'd be glad to help consult for you guys for, I don't know why, but you know, shit, the game awards is awesome. Uh, it's not on TV, which is probably another, uh, aspect of why it hadn't come to fruition before Uh majority of gamers were basically all gamers just stream. So if you have access to any streaming, uh, websites or platforms, there's a chance that it's going to be available on there. Um, and so you don't really need to sit down and watch, Spike TV, um, you know, but regardless, uh, you know, and now with esports too, you know, I know there's just esports industry awards, um, and it seems that, you know, as, as it moves towards its own level of professionalization, um, maybe it would be in the interest of esports to, you know, have their own award ceremonies. I, I, it would be a little tough for the next few years, if only because it, it's a, and I, I, it's not a small industry in any sense of the word, but simultaneously, um, you know, it, it's like if they had their own awards per league, it would make more sense. Like, you know, you have an NBA has their MVP and each league has their MVP, but they're not going to have like an Oscars for the NBA season. And I guess the ESPYs is a, an attempt at that. And you could sort of mimic that format. But, you know, I, I feel like between the amount of conventions that occur and E3 and these, you know, other sort of choice award ceremonies that um, it would be even in the best interest of major publications like Game Informer, IGN, GameSpot, to, uh, you know, get behind some of these and so that we could all agree. Um, I was also curious as to what was or uh, what were some of the uh, most awarded games of all time? Uh, there was a, a, a few surprises on that list. I'm going to say that number one uh, was probably the most uh, the most awarded game of all time is actually The Witcher 3 which is 
genuinely surprising, if only because I feel like uh, it would have made more of an impact on sales to be so you know heavily uh, you know given so many accolades. But apparently, that did not do it for them. Um, you know, and then rounding out the the top five is you know a couple of obvious suspects. Um, you know, GTA Five, uh, which I consider to be one of probably the greatest games of all time, uh, rightfully so. Uh, it basically plays like its own little novel uh, of the American dream gone wrong. Um, Mass Effect Two uh, is up there too. Uh, which I, I mean, I get, you know, which speaking of the Mass Effect 10th anniversary uh, is this year as well. And as well as Bioshock, we're going to get into the Bioshock one in, in a much further and more in-depth analysis. Uh, this goes to our next uh, one of the most awarded games of all time, Bioshock Infinite, which is my favorite game uh, of all time. No questions. Um and so this sort of makes sense. Uh, the Witcher would be the odd man out. The Last of Us being the you know the fifth one to round it out. Um, you know each of those games, if you really think about it, make complete sense uh, for being so heavily accoladed. Uh, they were extremely extremely good games, and now you know. Moving forward, we'll see if, uh, you know, with the Game Awards coming up, if they, you know, it had 2 million viewers for its first uh, premiere launch in 2014, and then it hit 7 million viewers last year, I think, uh, at this pace. And if it, you know, continues its high-end production quality within about five years, we'll, you know, sort of unanimously agree that the Game Awards are, you know, sort of the Oscars of the gaming industry, but we'll see where it goes from there. But uh, anyway, now let's uh, sit down and uh, have a conversation uh, on the Golden Joystick Awards with uh, our uh, correspondent, Trappy. Now that we've gone over how many Game of the Year awards there are and which of the awards are considered quote unquote most prestigious, um, I'm going to have uh, on back uh, our resident outer space correspondent, Trophy, to talk a little bit about Game of the Year awards. Um, Trophy. Hey, yo. Um, so. Uh, a pretty timely uh, conversation, given that uh, the Golden Joystick Awards just took place last night uh, at the O2 in London, um, and the uh, voting is taking place currently for the uh, Game Awards. Um, you know, there's a. What'd you think? What'd you think of the winners for the Golden Joystick? Anything come you know surprise you, or was it pretty much what you expected? I think it was really interesting that Nintendo had two games in the top. Switch is obviously just came out. I'm not surprised by Breath of the Wild winning at all, to be honest, because like honestly, it's best fucking game of the year. It, it deserved to win Game of the Year, and I can go on about like why it deserved to win Game of the Year, like about like how like it went back to its roots of like literally the first ever Zelda on Nintendo, and like the whole point of it is it just dropped you in and like. I I love their acceptance Four. speech when he's like, we're just happy that uh, Mario's only been out for a week. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's just... It, it, That's wild, too. It's funny Such a good me. game, also. Such a good game. But regardless, um, yeah, as you're saying with Zelda, you know... Oh, it, just, it just captures, like, the essence of, like, the original game, and, like, it just makes everyone happy. It makes old fans happy. It makes new fans happy. It's very... It deserves perfect scores. Uh, granted, it's a little bit... It has um, flaws, like all exactly, things do. You know, which, speaking of... Music's um, not as good as I'd hoped. There's uh, a minor brewing controversy, if you can call it that, of people complaining that 
uh, PUBG, um, that's uh, Player Unknown's Battleground, was nominated for Game of the Year awards. It was nominated at all. Oh, that it was nominated at all. Like rather. it should have been one of the top five. Which is a little... I mean, it's not even a finished game. It's really access. But I think that alone should sure. make them not allowed. This is... You don't think it should have been nominated? I think there's a different category that it could have been nominated for. I don't know what category it could be, but I don't think Game of the Year... I think Game of the Year should have some, like, rules. Like, it should, you know, be released. Yeah. It's early access. It's technically an early access game, so I think it should be treated as such. I agree, but I also disagree because I look at it the same way you would look at uh, the an MVP award. Uh, in One of the most impact awards. Exactly. That's fair. And so it definitely has, without a doubt, it did have the biggest impact of the it's year. It's the game it definitely of had a the bigger year. impact. You know, yeah. There's no argument that a literally industry boomed from it. Yeah. Straight Twitch, up. Twitch. I mean, it was already big, but now streamers like that to disrespect. Yeah, it, it, it took, yeah. Um, you know, game player. streaming, you know, viewing hours through the roof. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, created its sequels in Fortnite. Um, and as we touched on uh, earlier, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens if Bluehole ends up being acquired by uh, Tencent. Uh, that's the... Uh, company that owns uh, Riot, and Riot is the company, as you know, uh, it owns League of Legends. Um, but the... The, so exactly as we were saying, um, that's why I didn't understand the the sort of criticism of the game, like the of fact of, of of its nominations, for the fact that it was to, able to be so impactful without having even released. Uh, Probably because like the it wasn't it's not polished, I guess. Like it still pisses a lot of people off. Like you like get booted a lot. It's not. Yeah, it's but the, the whole thing is fun though. You it's sort no of it, you sort of expect that. To a degree, for a better, you know. But you know, most impactful game of the year. I'm gonna. I, I want to say PUBG. You know, yeah, I definitely agree with you for that. But from a pure gaming, from like an artistic, from artistic standpoint, I would say that it's it's a toss up between Mario Odyssey and. Breath of Wild. I think Breath of the Wild introduced. Well, I, I was gonna say like a brand new gaming, but like it's it's more of like a hodgepodge of like a bunch of different things. On different the Cuphead uh, wasn't nominated for, or just more highly touted coming into the sure won, like, award show season. It, it could have been nominated for Game of the Year. I it did. I mean, it won Xbox Game of the Year. Oh, okay. um, if it had come out in any other year, it would have won Ultimate Game of the Year awards, or it would win Game of the Year for. You know, majority of these places, but deserves you know, more acknowledgement. It does. I'm sure they one hundred percent does. I mean, people bought it. This at I think to a degree, as much as I support their decision to do the uh, what's that called the uh, intense level of difficulty. Um, oh, yeah that sort of came back and bit them because it wasn't as accessible so you are not going to get as many uh, friendly votes as something like you know last year Overwatch was a borderline you know unanimous game of the year contender but that's because to me to a degree that's impact yeah talk about impact yeah. Overwatch blew everyone out of the water became obsessed with it if PUBG so, had, but what would PUBG it have been a really smarter movie a smarter move for uh, PUBG to not have this sort of wide open beta 
they didn't stop anyone. They just kept scaling their I don't think infrastructure. They ex- I don't think they expected it. I don't think player number expected it to be this big. I don't, I don't think they like pumped, but like, oh, I don't either. But the their ability to keep scaling up their servers to handle the amount of people who are coming on is as impressive as the fact that as they're not like they're not actually doing a good job though. There's, there's so many errors with it. It's a beta. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Which, again, makes the argument that for people to get so upset for a game that's understood that, you know, this isn't the final product, and people are like, this sucks, and they're like, well, yeah, we're trying to fix that shit. Like, that's the whole point of this shit. Yeah. You know? People just want to hurry up. People just want them to hurry up. I mean, huh? they, there's no doubt that people love. Will, will it be more important, um, PUBG, once it's released on a console? Because I, I, I was saying, man, another so. friend of mine was like, "I'll buy you a copy." Because for some reason, Amazon Prime had it for sale for thirty dollars if you fair. ordered it um, through Prime or something. Strange. But he's like, "I'll." I I personally think that PUBG would be more enjoyable on a console playing on Xbox. I think it would be a different experience. I think it would be more enjoyable. That's it. It's just uh, the, you might be right. You know, more interesting of we an experience. wait for it to come out to find out. Exactly. You know, which but I, is could, I could expect to see that happening. About a month away. It's going to be completely different. Uh, mouse and keyboard and controller. It's, it's going to be way different. Yeah, absolutely. I'll say Overwatch. Well, PUBG will definitely be, though. Shooters, first-person shooters. Exactly. That's, that also puts into perspective uh, Dr. Disrespect's rise, especially yeah. given the fact that he was able to, you know, climb up the ladder on literally on the same exact timeline that PUBG has been released. You know, he, PUBG. I mean, he's it's been himself. him and PUBG's PUBG. the reason why yeah. he's big. Yeah, he wasn't like he's not big because. Like PUBG, yeah, he rode the PUBG wave. Yeah, exactly. He rode the PUBG wave, but he um, surfed it like a fucking like the doctor, wood. like a pro, like the like, doctor, like a pro. Um, I'll be honest, I was skeptical of the doctor at first, but um, any person who can trash talk well eventually wins me over. So he's a great trash. Talker. He's a great trash talker. Um, so you know that's why. Again, like we were saying, yeah, it has to He's be a it. good entertainer. I'd watch him juggle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, doctor, if you're listening, um, please come on the show. Uh, it's really hard to get interviews because people are like, uh, "Who the fuck are you?" And I'm like, "It could be a good conversation, dog. It could be." But yeah, you know, shit. We'll see what happens with that. Um, so, Horizon Zero Dawn, which you know, I don't own a PlayStation, so. I really wanted to play a lot, and I have a PS4, and I really wanted to get. I just think around to it, but I've heard nothing but good things, and all the gameplay I've seen has been really, really cool, and really fun, and the flow is good, and the graphics are good. It's an original story and a female protagonist. It's not like all boobs and ass like Lara Croft is, or like made to be. It's a really nice change of like pace, and they put a lot of heart into it. I really want to play it on PC. I'll, if you're listening right now, like, please get a PC port. I would, I would go crazy for it. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would have to agree with that um, because. But I don't know if it deserves to be in that uh, nominee, though. I mean, I can't think of any other games that came out this year that would also fit that category. In what sense? To be instead of instead of Horizon Zero Dawn, should Horizon Zero Dawn be replaced with a different game? Yeah, Cuphead. Well, you know what? I could see that. I could, I could see that. Like, there's no reason that I'm looking at Game of the Year. I see Persona 5, which, who's your who's your publicity or marketing, dude? Because you don't... 
That's a big one. Five's not a big IP. I mean, it's, it's pretty big. It's I don't know, man. That's a big boy list between PUBG, Super Mario Odyssey, and The Legend of Zelda. Horizon Zero Dawn, I guess you could say, because it looked really good. But... I don't know. A lot of good things. Cuphead deserved a, a, a game of the year nod, even if it wasn't going to get a vote. I so, agree. I think it, I think it had a bigger. You. I think Cuphead had a, had a bigger impact than Horizon Zero Dawn. Get a majority impact. Yeah, I think. But again, you know, I, hopefully, not hopefully so because beautiful. I, I think you know, one way to remedy that would be that when they come up with a you know game of the year edition. Um, of. Yeah, of of, of Cuphead. Uh, Hopefully, they come out with a physical release. Which, you know, know, if you guys are listening, very much so do that because that is a game people buy, like a toy. Yeah, Cuphead, like a a mug of the cup. Whatever you put in there, in addition to an art book. um, Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. An art book. I watch a documentary. I watch a documentary on Cuphead. Yeah, the making of Cuphead. I agree with them. But I mean, now you can't do it because. They didn't know at the time. Didn't know years. at the time exactly. So if you're ever doing anything, always be sure to save it Don't and record us. it for posterity's sake, in case you ever become famous and yeah. uh, overnight and need a documentary made about said fame. Regardless, um, so you know that was a pretty interesting conversation. Um, majority of the other, I just feel like Game of the Year awards this year were were pretty pretty self evident. Um, between Zelda, wrong with that, I guess. Yeah, and PUBG, um, and I, I don't think any other game on that list would beat us. Yeah, Zelda. I think Zelda deserved it. If anything, um, you know, so much fun. I want to play right now. The, the we'll play after this. The level of um, or the percentage increase in sales that uh, those two games. It's Nintendo's fucking year. That's for Switch sure. Switch is awesome. It, it switches Switch around. Is a smart move. Um, you know, and if you look at you know, if you look at sales up till now, uh, the PS4 far outsells uh, the Xbox One, and yeah, it yeah. also outsold the Switch. But I think that the uh, development team at Nintendo has hit like the sweet spot. <laughs> I think it's like I think we're like might be approaching like the golden golden age of Nintendo games. I was very skeptical initially because you know they all all but threw away um, you know any semblance of trying to get into the market in the last generation uh, after the Wii. They tried to catch up. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. The Wii sold like hotcakes, but the the Wii Wii U, the Wii U was one of the dumbest things. The Wii U felt like they were trying to catch up in the HD realm. They're like, all right, we made the Wii, we didn't make it HD, so we kind of fucked up a little. Felt like a Sega Saturn. But like we was so much fun. Gigant- gigantic so fucking block. Fun. Oh my god, we was so much fun. We was fun, but we was fun because it was what revolutionary. It was, yeah, it was new. It was different. Yeah, it was new and different. All over the way, I guess. And when I first heard about Switch, I'll be honest, I was like, Nah, no one's gonna care. Which is should be a lesson for Xbox, which is I thought I was gonna do Nintendo it. does not need the most powerful hard drive in the world to be able to get the most sales because After, today is November 18th it had the Nintendo Switch wed all consoles and sales last month even with the Xbox One X is going to lead again um, that is the Nintendo Switch and come Christmas you know what's going to be in the lead Switch no fucking Xbox One X the most powerful gaming console in the world <laughs> it might no it's not it'll be Switch yeah it's gonna be Switch I, it's just oh, Switch is so good you know it's Nintendo just, just knows what they're they, they figured stuff out 
they pulled it off well. Um, they deserve all the respect in the world. I see um, Cuphead coming to. I would love a Cuphead port on Switch. Yeah, that could be very likely in the future, um, just because it makes the most sense. They're being pretty welcoming of third parties all of a sudden. Usually, Nintendo doesn't like third parties and now they're all of a sudden they're like alright let's have Skyrim on here like fucking Skyrim on Nintendo Switch it's, when people first saw that first of all they were pumped and all they were like whoa like what Nintendo doesn't do that yeah that I agree with but I mean the same way you saw I like it Nintendo open up with uh the uh the, with their IP with uh Niantic with for Pokemon Go well Nintendo doesn't own Pokemon Pokemon is its own entity they own a portion of Pokemon. Yeah, but not up to have. Like, they, they they own. I think it's like 40% or something. 40%. Pokemon behaves, it acts on its own company. Nintendo is, is, is the majority, I believe. I, I believe the majority, you know, investor. Uh, they definitely had a large part of becoming big. Yeah. But regardless, um, Pokemon wouldn't be big without, without Game Boy. But regardless. Of course. It's Game First. Uh, if PUBG had the polish, um, you know, PUBG needs a lot of work. PUBG doesn't need a lot of work. I stopped playing PUBG. I got bored. I mean, the good thing is that the core gameplay of it is solid. We know that. Now you just gotta, you know, fix it, make it more polished, as you say. What do you think uh, is going to be next year's game of the year? Next year's game of the year. I think Based off the most year. anticipated games. What is coming out next year that people are pumped for? I can't even think on top of my head. Uh, say The Last of Us 2, Red Dead Redemption 2. A lot uh, of 2s coming out next year, isn't there? Which one? A lot of 2s, a lot of a lot sequels. Of twos. Yeah. What else? I'm trying to think. There's a, there's a Smash Brothers comes out. I don't think Smash Brothers will work, though. Game of the Year. I don't know, honestly. Last of Us is really good. Ideally, uh... The Nintendo team, or not Nintendo, Rockstar drops L.A. Noir 2, Red Dead Redemption 2, and Grand Theft Auto 6 all simultaneously. Everyone. Because, you know, I, I know that's a very plausible idea. But regardless, it looks like it's a year of Nintendo um, between getting more ports for uh, L.A. Noir, which we were just talking about, um, Doom, oh, yeah. and Rocket League. They're third party games. They're like they're learning. They're becoming more accepting. They're exactly. They're still they're keeping learning. their Nintendo way. Exactly. That's. Oh, Kingdom Hearts comes out next year. Kingdom Hearts. Oh, uh, yeah. it's going to be between. Uh, no, King, Kingdom Hearts is forever in fucking development. Um, <laughs> It'll never come out. It's, it's never gonna come out. Exactly. Legend of Kingdom Hearts. It's a myth. The first two didn't exist. It's a hologram. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Men in Black like yeah, Exactly. You enjoyed Kingdom Hearts. You played it. You like, loved they're it. gonna wait for like just keep keep teasing it and then at the end they're like what do you mean we never talked about this but regardless um, it's going to be between Red Dead Redemption 2 Sea of Thieves uh, Spider-Man Last of Us Part 2 uh, those are going to be one of those are going to be the game of the year I would like something out of nowhere to come like another like PUBG but only like good you know what I mean yeah I mean I, I, I think knows? I think it would be nowhere. do you know the way they should do it they yeah. should make. They should bring out Super Mario Strikers. <laughs> I love. They should just make more Super Mario sport games. Golf. Where's my golf? Been? Like they haven't made. Toadstool was okay. Well, 
Now they have the ability to because they have a definitive success on their hands. The switch is amazing. Yeah, it was just a good call. Yeah. It was executed well. Like yeah, every, they have their main... Everything's a good fucking idea in theory, but they executed it. What I admire about Nintendo is that they try new things, and they're willing to fail. Like Virtual Boy, fucking awful sets. Um, yeah, I agree. And just the ability... And that's what I really think. I don't even know where PS4 or Sony is trying to go with it. Um, Xbox, it's fine, but... It does not look good for them. Uh, the same type of gaming. The way I see the split coming in the future, uh, you'll play your games on PC, and then for your console gaming, you're just going to predominantly use a Nintendo Switch or something portable. I can see that. Because, yeah. Nintendo Switch. Nintendo's trying to be different. Yeah. Different's good sometimes. I think every other console misunderstood the necessity of portability for this generation. Nintendo, they will catch on to that. Yeah. That's it. Nintendo just looked inwards at their own sales and they're like, oh, what's our highest selling anything? Oh, Game Boys and DSs. Like, the Switch gets the Steve Jobs mark of approval. I think he would approve it. I think he'd approve it. The fact that the controllers come off. I, I, I think that their plan is to have, like, new controllers come out. Like, let's say you have a game like a Pokemon Snap game, and the new Joy-Cons on the side would be, like, the camera thing, so you are like, different. Oh, that'd be And then you can have, like, other augmented games. Augmented reality games. Yeah, you can have other games have, like, different, like, things on the side. Maybe have, like, a punching bag one. I don't know. I don't know, but we'll see. Um, this was, oh, a, this was a unique year. Uh, unique in that Nintendo... Crushed triumphant it. return of Nintendo. Uh, yeah, the triumphant return of Nintendo. After That's for damn years sure. And years of garbage Wii U. Not even garbage. No, it was alright. They had like Mario Kart 8, which was solid. Smash Bros. Wii U. After a game. swing and a miss, they come back hard. Yeah. And they didn't come back with one shot. First mistake. Don't they call came it back Wii U. with, <laughs> you know, they shot twice. They did not shoot once. Um, yeah. That was a bullying. Nintendo bullied the Game of the Year awards this year. So, sorry to everyone else who tried. They literally threw their two best IPs at everyone. Exactly. Within a year. And then they're like, oh, hey, holiday season. God, Breath of the Wild is so good. So good. Both of them. All of their games. Let's end so I can play it. So, anyway. um, So, that's just, uh, you know... A pretty good encapsulation of uh, what's going on uh, in that realm. Anywho, uh, I am going to finish talking here because, you know, we've covered sort of all of our bases. Um, now, uh, coming up is our interview with the CEO of a uh, technology uh, firm, uh, TJ Anamandra. Uh, his company is called Gun.io. Um, and uh, we'll be speaking with them coming up. This is also not an advertisement, but really, free tax zone. So uh, today for our interview, we have uh, the CEO of Gun.io, Teja Yanamandra. Teja, welcome to the show. What's up, man? Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, Teja is a good friend of mine, um, just as a preface, but I will give the listeners a little uh, insight into who he is. So first of all, Teja, tell us, what is Gun.io? 
so run.io is, uh, you know, one way to think about it is effectively uh, a talent agency for elite freelance programmers. You know, we like to think about us as giving the personalization sort of offered by like a local development shop, but with the scale of a sort of freelance marketplace. And so, you know, what we do is we help uh, companies build cool shit uh, by connecting them to elite freelance programmers. Absolutely. Have you worked with any uh, big companies before? Yeah, a um, couple, you know, we, we tend to work with companies of all sizes. Uh, we've done to work with Cisco, um, Solar City, now part of Tesla. Um, you know, we've done to work with sort of the upstart entrepreneurs as well. You know, I, I tend to think our sweet spot, you know, although we can work with a lot of different folks, I enjoy working with uh, sort of entrepreneurs who are scaling their companies. So, you know, maybe they do their first million, their first two million a year in revenue, and they kind of want to accelerate their product development. That's that's really who I like to work with personally. But, you know, we've, yeah, we work with the big marquee brands. So as a guy who is uh, heavily into entrepreneurship and who also happens to be a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu enthusiast, um, <laughs> tell us, how did you get into gaming? Because one of the things we wanted to do initially was to only interview people who are in the gaming industry, but then we realized there's a lot of people outside of it who have had video games affect their lives or who have had video games be a defining feature of their lives. So, you know, where was your introduction into gaming? What console, what were the first couple of games that started you down the pathway of being a gamer? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, like right now I'm playing Overwatch quick play as we're speaking. Oh, so, right. <laughs> so I like, so like gaming. Yeah, I have, obviously I have Discord more than shit muted and my sound's muted. So if you hear, you know, clicking, it's my, you know, fucking mechanical keyboard. Who, who, who are you maining? Um, who are you maining tonight? Uh, you know, I'm, people probably will throw up, but I like to play Junkrat. Like, I have the most hours played on Junkrat. Although, I'll tell you what, in competitive, like, Roadhog's catching up. Because he's, like, such a high DPS and versatile character that I can shut down. And we're going too deep. But mainly Junkrat, right now I'm playing uh, uh, Reaper. Just because he's, like, a character you don't have to focus too much with. You just, you know, hold down left click and run around. Absolutely. A couple times. Yeah, I, I, I don't get a lot of the hate for Junkrat. I, I feel like in terms of characters who are, are more annoying, I would feel like D.Va is <laughs> more yeah. diva in our, in our joint most hated uh, character um, May, which no doubt just the way yeah, May sucks. So so backtracking. Oh. What were what were the first couple of uh, was the first console and the first couple of games that you uh, that got you into it? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I grew up. My God, Brendan is destroying right now. So <laughs> I grew up uh, playing. N64, a PlayStation, I don't know how old I was. I think I was in elementary school at the time, something like that. Um, you know, I, I was I was fairly young uh, when I first started playing console. I think, you know, I can't even remember when that was. And, uh, you know, I played like Jet Moto on PlayStation, Mario 64. Absolutely. Super Smash, uh, Smash Brothers, you know. Absolutely. Uh, so the classics, but, and like, that was kind of fun. Like, you know, I played with my cousins and stuff over holidays. Uh, I didn't mind doing that, but I think I really fell in love with gaming. Got addicted, almost dropped out of school. It's hard, it's hard to drop out of public school. Like, you got to really kind of try to, to have that happen. It's you know an effortful I mean? thing, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, like, it was it was pretty rough. And what, what game well, was that again? Damn. 
EverQuest. Sorry, I'm like I'm half focused. So <laughs> my apologies. EverQuest. No um, and Dark Ages of Camelot. So you like, are you familiar with the Morpex genre, like the the MMORPGs? Absolutely. The massive. Okay, yeah. So like, you know, I mean, we're talking like playing hours and hours and hours of MMORPGs as a kid growing up. EverQuest is how I started, and then um, where I met like really close friends with this game called Dark Ages of Camelot, and that's how that's a that's a Morpex with like a really good PvP element to it. Um, sort of like predating original WoW by, you know, maybe a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably 2004 to 2006, I would say, is what I really PC game? Deep. Sorry? PC? Um, sorry, what was that? Was it on PC or console? Ah, uh, yeah, PC, PC. I mean, I'm a PC gamer, dude. Like, I definitely can play console, but there's, like, not even a question about... PC versus console for me. So then what was the last system? So if you've always been a PC gamer, which is this is a big topic we've been going through about whether, you know, consoles have become slightly dated because they are so uh, specific in their usage and PC has the ability to be a computer and a gaming console. So it sort of takes away the incentive to buy a console. What was the last console that you thoroughly enjoyed? So I'm going to assume by being a PC gamer, PS4, uh, Xbox One, and the Wii were sort of out of your wheelhouse. So between the generation before, <laughs> GameCube, PS2, Xbox, the original, or Xbox okay. 360, which yeah. of those were yours or your favorite? Totally, totally, totally. So I- I'll tell you what, the console that I really enjoyed mainly because you get these amazing, basically Dragon Ball Z anime battles from playing Super Smash Brothers Melee. Like, there was the big, I guess, competitive scene, Super Smash Brothers Melee, and I think that was for, for what? GameCube? Mm-hmm. I think that was the con, like, the console that, and so, like, you know, every, basically all of my friends who gamed had Melee on GameCube, and, like, we would have these epic battles. You know, I'd play Mars nice tier one character they'd play, you know, they'd play Mars and we'd have these crazy battles where we're countering each other and playing and shit. And so I would say that like, and I never even owned a GameCube, but I would just go over to my friend's house to play and practice and train and stuff. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I, I feel like I probably had the most time played on GameCube, which, um, one of the better consoles in my opinion, a little bit underrated. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, there's, a. Uh, there's Halo on you know the classic Xbox consoles and stuff. Yeah, we actually almost uh, named the show Land Party after that. That used to be our thing where we get two two TVs, eight people, and land that shit out and you know make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Old yeah, school gaming. Yeah, I used to play. Man, I used to play Halo with your brother occasionally. Like I'd go down to his spot uh, in Stewie. Uh, this is out in Boston, by the way, for the listeners. We're all we're all Boston University alumni, for better or yeah, worse. Hell yeah. Be hell yeah. Self-made, BU affiliated all day, though. That's right, man. That's yeah. right. And so then, okay, so then, you know, playing playing into GameCube, and then, you know, the, the, a question I would have is then, you know, we, we were discussing this the other day. Um, gaming has sort of shifted from being a child pastime to being acceptable form of leisurely activity or entertainment for adults now. Um, yeah. What do you think has been 
a driving factor behind that, you know, because you're 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 in a space that isn't predominantly gamers, but yet I'm sure you run across a lot of gamers. What do you think in the culture has shifted to allow, you know, gaming for us to become, you know, an acceptable form of uh, leisure, I guess would be the phrase. I don't know. You, what was it? You think it was unacceptable at some point? I don't think it was unacceptable per se, but I also think um how seriously it was taken um, was is also something that's evolved from, you know, if you go, you know, may, may, to me, it maybe it's graphical interface. So if if the graphics are so high that you have to respect uh, the artistry in it, it also lends a more uh, seriousness to the entire industry as a whole. Um, and, you know, with esports burgeoning now and then just, you know, consoles always, you know, going. I just feel like, you know, it, it wasn't so looked down upon, but you know, when I was a kid, you know, the, the, the person going to the local comic book shop every week or the older cousin you had who happened to be a little bit of a gaming enthusiast or a little bit of a, a geek was frowned upon. Um, or it was just, Definitely. you know, it, and so it, it, and it's a, and it's a frowned upon thing. So now it's sort of like you could be a 35 year old and if you're playing games, it's like whatever. But if you were 95 playing, Sega Genesis as a 35 year old I feel like society may have looked at that differently um, yeah no doubt well I'll share with you two, two, two like funny things so like my friends and I you know grew up gaming playing more bags and shit we always talk about like you know what is the thing that your parents tried to do to you to stop you from gaming so my mom you know she would take away my, 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 my power cord this is a story for minorities yeah, yeah. The power cord she would take it away and I obviously had a backup power cord I'd plug it in you know if I came home early from school something like that playing and one time she threw our cable modem out the window we have like lived on the second floor so I mean, she literally threw it out of a window she was so upset that's intense you know, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> See, this is what I mean by frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I don't know if that's like, and here's where I don't know. I don't know if that's because I just was pl- like, I was playing too many games and I was not like keeping my shit together in my like academic life, mm-hmm. you know, because we were really young. Or if it was because the games themselves were silly. Now, you know, like, I, I don't know, as adults, we're able to manage our lives and you know for me like i don't know like what are the what's the average amount of time that average american spends watching tv binging on netflix this type of bullshit you know screen, I mean? screen like, time is between four and eight hours a day for the average right, yeah, and like and like you know the average person what checks instagram 89 million times a fucking day looking at ads you know I mean? I yeah like, so it's, i kind of go like if you're spending time playing with your friends mm-hmm. and you're having fun and you're, you're having, you know, just, just a good time hanging out and fucking people up or, you know, whatever gentle game you play. Mm-hmm. How is that better or, or, or worse, really? I think it's the same um, as checking Facebook or all this other crap. I agree. You know? I, I very much agree. You know, it's always like, a, you know, pick your poison. But, you know, moderation is always the key. And, you know, that that's something we've learned as adults when it comes to gaming that I, I'm sure we didn't have because a few all nighters and a lot of bad grades tell me the story. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I didn't pay as much attention as I should have. But well, that, that's the problem, right? It's not the gaming itself. It's just if you can't keep it under control, then that's the problem. Uh, but I think we're all, we seem to all have a good handle on keeping stuff together, 
you know, and when we keep each other in check and accountable. So I think it's, I think it's fine, man. You know, um, to game as an adult hack, I think it's better than fucking going to the club and wasting all of your money there. If that's not the truest truth in the world, that's for damn sure. And I always think about it. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. Go buy like, I don't know, like a $2,500 gaming PC, use it for a year and one game and you're better off than like going out every weekend. Exactly. Know? The am- amount of money that people waste on booze at bars and on a weekly basis, it, it, it always converts. And it's like I said, you don't judge someone who sins differently than you if gaming is even considered a sin. I guess don't judge others' vices would be the, the phrase or hobbies or interest or don't be don't judge don't be an asshole that's that's the basic yeah (laughs) yeah word out now you know don't get me wrong i don't think anybody should be under any illusions like gaming is definitely a waste of time (laughs) but but so is hanging out with your friends and bullshit you know that's also like quote unquote a waste of time but nobody's gonna tell you not to do that yeah you know it's gonna be like don't hang out with your friends and shoot the shit because you're you should be working and you know all this stuff it's like no i don't know man that's the point of life yeah i agree life's too short to always be listening to other people's uh, definitions of acceptable so then you oh, know, yeah moving moving more into you know uh, games what would you say um in your lifetime you know the three games that feel you know or the three through your three favorite games uh i Man. would say well, I'll tell you the, game, the games that I've likely spent the most hours played on, because that's something you can kind of, I can kind of look at and quantify. And that's true. Measure the the impact in my life, right? Um, first, I would say Dark Ages of Camelot. Uh, that's like an old school MMORPG. You know, only the super nerds would probably remember that as an, even an option to play. <laughs> uh, Stick to that Iron Strike. Uh, played a lot of CS growing up. Amen. D dust all day. CS. Yeah, dude, for sure. Yeah, dust, and then you know, dust two. I guess now is one of the top competitive maps. So yeah, for sure, CS. Um, and then the third, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Third, third is tough. There's a, there's a lot there that are kind of tied. Give, give, give me three titles that uh, three titles that are tied for number three. Okay, yeah. I'd say EverQuest in terms of impact, that's my first exposure to more pegs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know EverQuest died a painful death and it doesn't get a lot of uh, you know Dude, okay, so I mean it was the first of its kind. Yep. You know I, mean? I was but just I'm gonna like, use that phrase. Yeah, I have a lot of buddies like to this day though that play like EverQuest classic, meaning like they'll uh, you know, there are these shards that are run independently by like random independent developers, like not not a studio, and they've somehow found a way to like run EverQuest Classic pre-expansion or like a couple expansions, you know, ago, and they'll run it and it's free. Mm-hmm. And I like, and I have friends who play it, like they play it two to three hours a day. Um, I think one is called Rent Ninety Nine. Like that's one shard, and it's like PvP server only EverQuest. And so there and a couple couple hundred or maybe close to a thousand, two thousand people play that. So like some weirdos continue to play a 25, 20 year old game. I you know I, I I mean if you think about it, CSGO is technically a 20, 25 year old game and that shit's still churning out almost. For sure. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean it's and I, I don't get me wrong. I make fun of them. Like, dude, you're playing a game as old, you know, almost as old as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but they like it. They're like, none comes close. Like, you know, 
my buddies who I play with, they're excited about the WoW Classic. They come out vanilla WoW pre-expansion. You know, there's mm-hmm. a there's a there's an a, an appeal to that. You know what it is? It's the same way, and I, and I, and I look at it very much like I look at movies, right? Who's in who's in charge of green lighting movies now? It is people who were raised with pop culture of the 1980s. So now that they are in a position of power and that person who grew up on, you know, say G.I. Joe when he was a kid. Right. And now he's a film studio executive. You know what he wants to make? G.I. Joe. You know? Nice. Yeah. And so when our age group moves into those same positions in 10, 15 years, you know what we're going to be all about? 90s nostalgia. No doubt. No doubt, man. So there's that yeah, circular dude. life to things that we grew up with and the nostalgia factor that comes in. I mean, it, it's also tough to say that if you're one of, you know, 2,000 people still playing EverQuest, you know, that also falls, <laughs> <laughs> that falls a little outside the line of nostalgia. That, that, that dude went too fucking deep. Bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> dude, that's, my, that's my main dude. I've known, I've known that guy since I was like five. But he went deep. He goes deep on Red 99, dude. Dang. He shall remain nameless out of respect for him and his family. Yeah, he, 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 he's lost in the sauce, man. There's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So, um, actually, I was about to say something I forgot. Um, so. And so then EverQuest would be number two. Um, what would be the third? Overwatch? Man, I don't know. Yeah, CS probably it's up there. You know, I'd say EverQuest and CS are tied up there um, for me in terms of sec- second most impactful. Because I played, I mean, man, I played a ton of CS, mm-hmm. like a lot. A you lot. know what I mean? Absolutely. I was never any good, but many games were had. Uh, I was never good at many of the games I played too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. And when I see professional gamers, I'm just like. How the fuck do you move like that, son? <laughs> I know, but it's cool. I, it's funny that that's a thing now. Um, you know, before in our time, we would just call them fucking nerds. Yeah, straight up. Exactly. Not and e-sport athletes. Exactly. Exactly. Digital athletes. Um, yeah. Do you remember playing Scouts Knives? Was yes. that a thing that you remember? A hundred percent. Low gravity. Mm-hmm. Not shit. Oh, God. It, it, it brings uh, me back to like old school Dell, you know, desktops and just, you know, Dell had a damn good run in the 90s selling those PCs. Um, yeah, dude, they, 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 they definitely did. Um, they're coming back, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah we'll see. I, I, I had faith in uh, BlackBerry making a comeback, but it feels like some of these companies that uh, sort of died out didn't understand how to re-establish the market which okay speaking of adapting to new markets you know I'll, I'll give you one or two more questions I know you're you're busy um, and by busy I, you know and by busy I, I mean playing Overwatch but you know for the listeners I want to make it seem like <laughs> um, you know so, so so speaking you know to you as a businessman um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the controversies that's been occurring in the gaming industry primarily with uh, loot boxes um, with battlefield and need for speed and you know you, you know uh, overwatch has fallen in the crosshairs as well but I, 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 I I'm, I'm starting to define it separately so basically the argument becomes um, is loot box are loot boxes considered gambling and the ESRB and all these gaming companies EA in particular want to create microtransactions and loot boxes as the business model of the future for gaming. 
What are your thoughts on that business model? Do you think, you know, it's a smart move and that, you know, the production, you know, being familiar with the, you know, the programming side of things that the games being produced and sold for $60 are not covering cost. And therefore it makes sense that they want to create, you know, more revenue streams. Or do you believe that is sort of a, you know, a predatory strategy? You know, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. You know, I know a lot of people are not okay with this, but I'm honestly totally okay with paying like ten dollars a month for a game straight up every month because I know that it's used to cover payroll mm-hmm. and it's it's used to build a business. And nobody would create a gaming studio that makes games if it was not financially profitable to do so, mm-hmm. right? Like if they couldn't earn a living, and if there wasn't a chance of earning a great living from doing it. Um, you know, like Valve has been able to make it after hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, similar to Blizzard, but I don't know, like. But they have, they have a, they have a, you know, a monthly a fee, which is something I've thought about, you know. So then I'll, I'll pose you a second question, right? And as a fan of Overwatch, um, League of Legends is currently the biggest game in the world. Um, but if you really? take, yeah, by, by just cumulative numbers of active players, it's the biggest game in the world. That's uh, crazy. I don't even know anybody in real life who plays that. You know, game. you know why? Because internationally, internationally, it's the biggest <laughs> game. That makes sense. That makes sense. And you know why? In my opinion, why? it's for free. It's free to download. You go to a cafe, you just sign in. You're not paying an extra cost. So then if you compare that to Overwatch uh, or, you know, if you compare it down the line of uh, Blizzard categories, um, they've had nothing but monthly, uh, you know, per month subscription costs for most of their games. Um, And so if do you think that Overwatch would increase the number of players it had if it went to a free to play but cost per uh, skin business model the way that League of Legends does, which is free to play, but all purchases in game are for aesthetic based changes with no application to gameplay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, Prob- probably, right? But I guess it just depends on what your goals are. Like, is your goals are your goals to have a large user base, um, or is it to have a curated user base? You know, it seems like Blizzard's goal with Overwatch is not necessarily to have a huge game but to have a game that's actually like very popular amongst the esports crowd right Mm -hmm. and so if they want to make it an esports darling it makes sense to have like the metagame constantly changing and adapting to have competitive play a significant part of gameplay you know to sort of have um those elements and not really give a fuck about like the ca- like the size of your casual you know one hour a week player now i don't know you know it's their business and their gaming setup so i, I can't comment on what's a better strategy Bro, this is a podcast the whole basis of this is to podcast on things that we should not be commenting on fair <laughs> <laughs> enough here let me try they should definitely fucking make it free no i don't know you know it just it depends on what their goals are man you know i, I remember reading somewhere where they want to make it an esports darling and then you know okay does that what does that do to the casual players i don't know but personally i love competitive gameplay mm-hmm. like that's why i love melee that's why i like day like i like the thrill of having a good match Absolutely. and you know that thrill dude mm-hmm. right like when you're kind of sweaty mm-hmm. you know, shit, can we fucking do this play you know deep in the pocket right now that's an amazing feeling absolutely you know, it's, a good, 
those last stands in Overwatch are something of a beauty. Yeah, dude. And look, it's the same feeling that I get from a good jujitsu match. It's the same feeling I get from executing a business strategy really well and seeing good financial returns. Like that feeling of with the plan, executing the plan, not knowing what's working, having the fun and figuring it the fuck out. Like that's true in gaming. It's true in jujitsu. It's true in martial arts. It's true in any form permutation of, of competition. And that's why I like Overwatch. That's why I like gaming in general because I don't know. It's another dimension to compete. It's another dimension to test yourself. You know. So I like that shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, I'm gonna let you get off here, but I'm gonna ask you for one more thing. It's gonna be a tradition uh, I'm gonna make with the show, beginning with you. Um, nice. Leave off one piece of advice for your for the listeners, and it can be gaming related, it can be business related, it can be life related. It is whatever is on your mind right now. Impart on the listeners. The last words of Asia of this conversation. Oh man, all right, dude. Okay, well, uh, this is not so much like a prescription, it's just more so like be conscious of, the, of this trade off. So, in Jiu Jitsu and also in gaming, like particularly in Overwatch, like you have your comfort characters, like the characters where you know you're gonna slay, mm-hmm. you know, and you have your kind of um, techniques in Jiu Jitsu where you know that you're confident with them. You know, like the certain takedown you want to throw, you know, you want to get in there, you know, uh, this guard position and you know, you want to do X sweep mm-hmm. to the next submission. Right. So like you have your own pathway, but you can't really grow if you constantly stay with the same shit, you stay with the same character, you stay with the same business, whatever, whatever. So I don't know. There's like always a weird balance between like knowing when something is working and then experimenting kind of, uh, scientifically to expand and grow and like managing that is probably I, I don't know why it's important but it seems fairly important well Tage's words are test your boundaries and make sure you got some goddamn metrics to make sure you're not okay. just wasting around, your time flailing around yeah, 90% of people true that dude mm-hmm. I agree with that well said absolutely alright awesome Tasia. thank you very much for coming on the show and I look forward to playing Overwatch with you in probably about 10 minutes <laughs> bro no doubt man alright brother I'll see you on later All right, man. For, thank you again thank you for having me yeah, yeah man for sure take care alright bye all right. Um, and that was our conversation with Teja. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and we will see you next Tuesday for episode four of People Like Games.